I'm going to sort out some questions and see what I can respond to. So take a few minutes if you want to stretch your legs or anything.
I would call this session off show. <laughs> Um, well, there's quite a lot of questions here, as you can see. I'm just uh, sensing some of it's just really kind of like looking at terminology and language, you know, sankaras and chaitana. And yeah, I'm trying to kind of really see if I can address some of these without just going around and around in a dictionary and try to, what's helpful. Um, so, oh, let's, let's go off back to Sankara's again. <laughs> uh, are they infinite? They drive nutriment one's life energy. Always some karma when Sankara's activate. What activated the Buddha if not Sankara's? Do Sankara's operate from a sense of self? What about unconscious motivations? Are the Brahma Viharas healthy Sankaras? Are the Brahma Viharas eternal or conditioned? And what else we have here? Also, who do you talk about mental volition as one of the nutriments? It sounds like this is related to, but not the same as Jitta Sankara. Is that so? Can you please clarify? Mental volition and jitta sankara. Mm. So, <laughs> sankara. <clears throat> so, sankara is sort of, you know, if you can imagine something like a magnetic field with various energies, magnetic forces in it, and you couldn't really say, oh, there's that one, that one, it's like there's a field of these currents of energies that have a tendency, you know, you put iron filings in there, it's going to form a particular shape, right, you know, line up, on it? So, that ability to form a shape, and that's, there's a particular magnetic current there that's turned on that's generating that isn't it could you you couldn't really call it a thing it creates forms you throw the iron filings in you get the forms arise you know it has to have an iron a bar a magnet bar a physical object for it to operate through the earth itself is a magnet it's a magnetic fields running around in it so, you know, something like Sankara is a bit like, you know, these energetic currents in, in the field. And uh, so that's one way of looking at it. And uh, so we have a uh, bodily one, which arranges, it's like, you know, you're plugged into life itself, is the Ayu Sankara, the bodily one, which is, gets our breathing going mental one which is able to formulate perceptions feelings mental feelings and then come up with responses to that and then the verbal one which is our ability to articulate now the only one that has actual uh, intentionality in it is the mental one that means there's some sort of um, you know um, direction to make something happen that's the mental one jitta sankara and that may operate through causing your body to jump hear a sound body doesn't hear sounds does it hear a sound bang and then there's an immediate reflex so there's some you know that sound is transferred immediately through the ear to the chitta to the body 
flash, right? Yeah, jump, volition, action. There's no thinking with that. So you get a, a volition or some kind of impulse reaction occurs. So you can see some example of a kind of volitional push from the heart happening just as a reaction to a sound or a sight. That's part of what we experience. We see a sight, we oh, jump. Mm. Often it's more formulated than that. So it comes into the thinking capacity and we formulate a response. Mm. We have a definite considered intention. I mean, considered, not, mean, not necessarily wisely considered, but, oh, that sounds good, I'll have one of those, you know. Zoom. So that's, uh, it's called Mano Sanchetana. The, uh, so the word Chetana is the, is the volition that arises in the Chitta Sankara. Kara. So Jitta Sankara formulates perception, sanya, feeling, mental feeling, and having formulated that, throws up a response called Chetana, volition. And that can happen um, more or less just a kind of jump of panic in the heart. And we hear a sound, we feel ourselves, heart jumps. Excited, angry, frightened, or it could go up into the brain, if you like, and we think, oh, that looks nice, I have one of those. There's a slightly more considered process, and we strategize and we plan through that capacity. That's Mano Sanchetana. So it's the uh, Chetana volition associated with a thought capacity. The thought capacity. So it's slightly different from these other more reactive volitions. Now all that in some ways you can see some of it is a little more as I was saying with those four foods you get the first one, physical food, you do have quite a bit of say over that. You know, any sense object, it's pretty much, it's out there. There's quite a lot of reactivity in that. But we can generally do some restraining on that without too much of a big thing. Considered strategies, our, our um, ideas and planning. Sometimes it's really difficult to, to stop that one, but you can do it. You know, you can see yourself doing, say, look, just just quiet now. Turn your mind somewhere else, you know. Remember this, remember that. You've got some say over it. It tends to be a bit out of control, but you do have some say over it. And so that, coming up into your thinking capacity, okay, you know, think of this person with a mind of compassion. Right? Turn it around, you know. So you do have, do have some say over that. Then you come down to contact. And that's where it becomes very uh, reactive, very much not a matter of, you know, the volition jumps up and it's happened before you really even get your head around it. You know, you feel offended or excited or something just by, a, you know, a voice tone or a sight of something, something jumps up, you know. And so you've got something that's really quite, quite reacted and then you're, sometimes your your thinking capacity is actually trying to control that. So you get the two, you get the first, the basic impulse rushes up, say greed, say for example, and then you're thinking, oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. And you're trying to, you know, so you get an, another volition, a mental volition comes up to try to, to deal with the other one, the more instinctive level. And this whole tussle goes on. So you can see that the, you know, the contact, the contact, the volition that rises straight from contact is much more of a reactive level than uh, than the, the volition that rises from 
mano, which is a little more distanced from the heart. So it's quite, you know, but they all have to be, they all have to be recognized and then uh, restrained, relinquished. It's easier to recognize and restrain one's, one's you know, mano sanchetana than the, than the contact impressions that can come up where you, we do feel threatened or frightened or excited or something and just, just struck me that way. Yeah. And then you've got to really, with that, you've got to calm and investigate you know, the signaling that, that caught, that generated that, the signal of, you know, which generated fear or, or craving or something. So you just keep coming back and investigating the signal, you know, something you're, something you're attracted to, something you're repelled by. Well, okay, let's have a look at that. And then you have to really start working with um, insight, calming, but also insight, because the you know, reaction is only really undermined by constantly coming back to the realization you can't have anything. You know? <laughs> and there's, uh, there is no final security here. You know? And we've got to really reset ourselves, reset the way we, you know, when we operate much more, in, and this really is where the whole insight process of anatta and anicca anatta comes in more deeply realize that can be more we've, the heart gets it eventually, you know, that there's nothing to hold on to but that only occurs when those enlightenment faculties have strengthened to give you to give the heart enough support that it can Okay, you know, it can let it can let go of the reaction because there's something else holding it. So this, the reactive level is is very, you know, deep, and it needs a. This is where the enlightenment factors have to be given the time and the encouragement to to uh, strengthen. So they can almost saturate our psyche with with something where you do you feel strangely fearless, not as a per, not on the personality level, but something that doesn't do that. So that, anyway, it's kind of going off a bit, but <clears throat> I'm trying to give you a feeling for how you, we can make use of these these terms. But really, you know, the thing to make use of is essentially with Sankara, it's moving, it's dynamic, it's reactive, it's energetic, it forms particular uh, responses, reactions, processes, structures, mm. and in that forming the structure, we arrives at we arrive at something we feel very much. This is who I am. I'm stuck with this. What I am, I can only be this, you know. And you get the sense of the, the stuck bit. Uh, why sankara is useful is because we all have somewhere, you know, the sense of well, I'm this. That may not be such bad news, but here it is, stuck, you know. You sit and meditate with it, and it does become a bit disappointing, really. And sometimes extremely, uh, you know, uh, painful places. So the point of the Sankara is that all this stuff that you seem to be, and have been trying to struggle with all your life, trying to get out of being it, is actually being dynamically created at a very deep reactive level. It's not, it's not a solid structure at all. It's something that's dynamically created, just like the, 
the magnetic field, you know, which is, there it is, look at that, those iron filings are all lined up, and you switch the current off, well, where did that go? <laughs> you know, or the vortex in, in the stream, which seems so stuck there, until you move a few rocks around, and then, hey, where did that go? You know, and that's what the value of it, I think, is that the our sense of self is really just a, a vortex, um, and if we shift the rocks, the places that we don't even realize are, are held, being held onto, then that thing will, will loosen up and flow. Mm. And the rocks are often gut level assumptions. You know? So we don't need hardly even name, you know, because they're not, they're pre verbal, some of them, gut level senses of. You know, being being in this body, being a finite person, being somebody moves through space and time, you know, who's that? You get glimpses of it, sometimes you think, no, that doesn't make sense really. Because now I can remember this and that, and how did, you know, the real felt sense of being here does not move through space and time. You know, I mean, your body moves through space and time, but the felt sense of being here does not move through space and time. Space and time arise and throw it around and tickle it and tweak it, and but it doesn't move anywhere. You're always where you are, you're always where you are. You get that sometimes, and you see this whole kind of kaleidoscope of stuff. And you think, gee, how did I believe in all that? You know, and then you do. <laughs> Next moment you're in. <laughs> and then there's a kind of something, these very fundamental anutsa inclinations that of stemming from ignorance and they want to be in they want to be in space and time they want to be in the movement they want to get hold of something they want to be held by something you know and they they tip into the into the stream but that also is still sankara and even the you know, the very sense of the view itself is Sankara. The assumption is also something that's got this dynamic propulsion to it. And uh, so the liberation is really the liberation in terms of citta and panya. And citta means, if you like, the sense of the heart becomes steady, stable, warm, feels peaceful, feels good. Is it, you know, being jostled around? Jitta, and in terms of panya, wisdom, which is none of this, you know, nothing, nothing has to be made out of this. There isn't, there isn't any self that has to be made out in this, or freed in this, or liberated in this. So these two, the jitta vimuti and the panya vimuti, are the, the two you know, uh, consummations of the uh, process of awakening. Okay. So, mm, refer to Chitra as the boss, and we've heard you explain manner, response to the boss's orders, Vijnana establishes the wishes. My understanding was that jitta and mana were synonymous, so where in in mind is this distinction made? My jitta is all over the place. Thank you. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I I can't go on about this topic anymore. (laughs) You know, uh, just, but if you look in the text, we're looking at words now, but if you look in the text, you'll always see Mano vinyana, you know, you never see jitta vinyana. So jitta 
jitta is intrinsically this um, where the sense of self, really the very subjective sense, mano is that which creates an object. And uh, I'll have to leave you with that one. <clears throat> and Brahma Vihara, of course, uh, are chetana, so they're, they're volitional t- tendencies. Um, so it says, you see this, you can look in the Pali, you see it, it says, where is it? Metasakatena mm. chetasa, so chetasa is chitta and volition, so it's it's this sort of, um, you know, the inclining, with a mind that's inclining, metasakatena, uh, accompanied by loving kindness. So sankaras, you know, they're not they're not bad. That's a bit simplistic, but they are. And it, so you can have a conscious volitional tendency towards loving kindness. It's fine towards uh, um, you know compassion or towards um, helping other people. Or it's all that's all sankara. And you so you to use the skillful volitional tendencies and volitional inclinations to combat the unskillful ones and then skillful volitional inclinations to meditate so that you can you know so that the mind will begin to you know find this opening and where the enlightenment factors will 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 be will general self will generate mindfulness is also volitional you know you apply it um, itself it has no volition to it. It's just there, but it's, it's something is applied through the through the mind. It's consciously applied. So it's an example of a skillful mano sanchetana. Yeah. Remember in that four foods, it's not saying you shouldn't have any. It's saying you've got to restrain it and understand it. Because if it goes out of control, then you. It's like it's just running away, dragging, you know, and like many people just, even when they meditate, really do much too much. You know, do much too much. There's an eagerness to be free, but uh, sometimes the eagerness itself is, you know, has to be tempered with patience and acceptance and, you know, because otherwise you're just feeling your own push all the time. and It doesn't, doesn't help. And of course, Buddha is a healthy Sankaras. And Buddha, yeah, activated by <coughs> Sankara, by compassionate intention, by empathy, by a, and then by, you know, acting from compassionate intention. Is awareness intrinsically kind? Mm. It's um, no awareness isn't just the only intrinsic quality. Really intrinsic, it's, it's aware, but uh, because it's uh, um, you know, The more complete awareness is, the less it's cramped by ill will. So, so this is the fundamental, say, quality of wisdom, discernment. Um, Then you can have discernment with a little bit of being 
critical, seeing things with a critical eye. Uh, so it can be slightly stained. Uh, and then as you keep ref- contemplating the quality of your of your awareness, so seeing the stained or the ragged or the sore, the cramped qualities, you begin to to realize you you know this is the blemish. So through con- just by becoming more aware of the blemishes, because they're painful and cramping and limiting, that we sort of like oh, you you put you come out of it. So it's, it's intrinsically, you could say it's intrinsically kind or it's intrinsically free from ill will. But, uh, you know, that process has to be uh, fulfilled because it is mixed up with many other mental concomitants, mental factors. And so, there's a difference between sampajanya and discernment or wisdom. Well, panya is the general over overarching term for all forms of of awareness and discernment and seeing and clarity and insight and um, you know that's the that's the that's the family. The family name is panya, and then the sampajanya is one of panya's kids. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a whole family in there. There's <laughs> Pajana, as you see in the Anapanasati Sutta, Pajana, it's thoroughly understanding. There's a Vipassana, directly seeing, it's all wisdom. So there's various you know, ways in which that wisdom is being um, angled or handled. And the quality of some Pajana is it, it, it sort of, it, or Pajana. I mean, the, so the pa is an is an emphasizer, and some is further emphasizer. So you've got the basic root of the word is the the jhana ana bit, and then you pa jhana, which you make it more emphatic, and then you sampa. So it's even more emphatic. It's very very. <laughs> and what it's doing is is it spreads over over the, the object it's placed on, and it, it both receives it, takes it in, and refers to it, and sort of, uh, we say, assesses it, or is alert to it, is sensitive to it, feels all the currents in it, feels all the, you know, so, and then it so recognizes in, in the, in the um, Satipatthana Suttas, function of Sampajana is to contemplate the arising and passing of things. And notice the process things go through. It's sensitive to that, the flowing of qualities, the movements of them, and then also whether they're moved along through ill will or passion or, you know, what's moving them. So it really, so sometimes trying to clearly comprehend or fully alert to, sensitive to the, uh, the flow of what's there in the in the mind stream is there's, there's a whole lot of currents coming together at any given moment. You know, the jitta is accompanied by all kinds of other factors at any given moment. Mm. So and then Sampajana works with sati mindfulness. So mindfulness is the the frame holds the frame. And just to use an image, if you like, and sati to the to the your fingers or the, the the hold of your hand. The fingers have the strength to hold something. You need that, and sampajana is the soft tissues of the fingertips and the palm that really feel what's going on. They work together perfectly, don't they? If you didn't have that firmness of hand, how would you hold anything? Yeah. But if you're just holding it and not getting it, what's the point of holding it? And they are, those two are, are, can be uh, deliberately activated. So in the process of meditation, you have these two um, 
mano qualities, mental qualities, deliberate volitional qualities. One is vitaka, which is the ability to bring something into mind, to decide, think this, turn that way, point to that. So it's that, you know, listen to that. So it's that considered or deliberate attention, deliberately focused, sometimes called initial thought or thought conception. Mm. So you say, think of pop, and then when it pops up, you know. So and then that that's <coughs> a way of of <coughs> establishing mindfulness. It says you know, follow the breath, pop breath. Are you breathing? You know, so your mind goes there. That's that's the vitaka, and the vichara is called, is the second quality, which is the ability to. Um, explore and assess, evaluate. How is it? How is it? And that that instruction, vichara, gets the thinking mind to tell me about it. What's it feel like? And that that heightens and exercises sampajanya. Right. So, for example, we might say, am I breathing? How do I know I'm breathing? So that's vitaka. It's like the finger pointing, searching and pointing. And so you use the word breathing, and then your mind goes there. And then, how is it? That's vichara. How how is that breathing? Is it pushy, warm, soft, subtle, shaky? How is it? That's sampajana. So that's the vichara element. And those two operate together as the, some of the pr- two primary agents for, um, for samadhi, for jhana. <coughs> They're actually starting to really get a handle on the meditation topic. And then, you know, and there's a certain wisdom in them. Sampajana is the wisdom element, saying, wait a minute, this feels like ill will. Don't like the feel of this one. Let go of this, discard this. So it's that, uh, that these two operating together keep signaling what's going on and discarding what isn't necessary, turning to what's helpful. Um, you know, don't, don't go into that thought, steer this way, dwell upon this one, pick up that and able then to drink in um, qualities of skillful skillful um, themes and objects. Felt sense in body and heart. <clears throat> There's a question here also about um, Adivajana Pasa. I'm sorry about the Pali, but this is what's meant, the word, the term that's used, pasa means impact or contact, adivajana pasa means the contact designation, the word vajana, vajja again. So it means um, the way things strike us. You know, so we might have the impact, patika pasa, the resistance means something strikes you. And then the way it strikes your heart is called designation impression. You know, so you hear a sound and it strikes you as charming or whatever it does. So that, that bit is the Adivajana Pasa and that's, um, says here, it seems similar to, to Sanya. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> so Sanya is just the, you can't separate them. You can't have, so the designating is done by perception. You can't, there's no separation between the two. Um, so what's the felt sense? The felt sense is um, of that, in that area. So the felt sense is the uh, 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 perception, you know, the sanya, the perception that's um, sustained. You know, so we get the felt sense might be 
uncomfortable or restricted or constricted. That's the felt sense is the sanya, the perception, the meaning, or you know, how it feels to me, what's how it strikes me. Um, and so that that's there's the that's the contact impression. Yeah. That's that's the designation impression. That's what the felt sense means. And so you know, the nature of sanya felt senses is they are often triggered by something quite specific, but they interpret it as something very generic, very global, you know. So, for example, you know, say somebody looks at you in a way you didn't like and you feel that one look, it took about two and a half seconds, actually, specifically, two and a half seconds of eye contact that felt felt impression was hostile. And that hostile then becomes something that floods me. It doesn't last two and a half seconds. It can last the rest of the day. It can last the rest of my life, actually. <laughs> and that person is always seen as the hostile person for just two and a half seconds, you know. Uh, so that's what Sanya does. It, it creates a, a generic and a global thing out of what was just the specific item. So it's associated with memory. Yeah. I mean just something happens and that's stored up as a generic impression that's, you know, Charles or something and Charles is like this. And it's stored up. He's got you've got a felt sense of Charles. He's a good guy or he's whatever it is. And then the, that's based upon what? You know? Uh, so you can have something there the person's completely shifted from for that felt impression they generated 20 years ago when they said that stupid remark and they've they've moved on you've moved on but then when you bring them up to mind bring in your mind again there comes a felt impression that loudmouth idiot <laughs> son of the eternal self and of course, we have felt impressions of our, ourselves, and uh, probably a range of them as well. Yeah. Over, yeah, yeah, we do make mistakes, and yeah, we did see see things, or we shouldn't have, yeah, silly. But it stays there as a felt impression of, you know, part of my identity of who I am. So that's the nature of sanya, perception. As I was saying to somebody, you know, you look around and you see trees. You can easily bring up a sense of trees and really understand what you mean. But you look at the trees, no true trees the same. So which is the right tree? And you look at a tree, do you mean the leaf, the branch, the root, the bark? Well, which bit are you talking about? Palm tree, oak tree, dead tree, tree in winter, tree in summer. And you specifically, you can't find a single tree. You know, <laughs> you can only find leaves, a leaf. Then you look at a leaf. Well, what kind of leaf? And you break it down. Everything is just a specific moment that's never repeated. Life would be extremely confusing if we had to operate at that level. There'd be no language. Would there? So we have to use these concepts which arise from saying something like leaf or tree, realizing really that's just a, uh, a construction. And sanya is the thing that creates these generic global impressions, um, contact impressions. So we look at the ones that are there, which generate a sense of self, particularly distasteful sense of self, stuck sense of self, that's a perception. And a perception is generated through a sankara process that keeps it referred to, keeps it well-oiled, keeps it embellished, keeps running energy through that form, that, that subtle form.
Every time you run it, run it one more time, gets another layer of paint on it. Sometimes the memory, every time you go to it, it distorts. So you end up with caricatures of people. They say that memory distorts every time you remember something, you distort it. The very act of remembering it distorts it. You know, like every time you remember that person, that that the ear gets bigger, you know. <laughs> Whatever it was that you noticed, that's one piece. That's the nature of sanya and the felt sense. But it does, it's useful, because when you get to the felt sense, you know, oh, this is, this is what's happening. You know, this is, this is the, how it is. And then you can generate skillful felt sense. It's like Buddha, you know, impression of Buddha. You work on that, the compassionate one. You know, Buddha as friend, Buddha as guide, Buddha as benevolent, Buddha as, rather than Buddha disapproves of me, you know, or not good enough or something like that. So you just start working on the perception of Buddha, for example, or of sentient beings in a, in a, in a way which generates compassion. So you, you operate these felt senses carefully and you cherish the ones that are uh, conducive to uh, freeing up the heart from fear and mistrust and ill will. Now we have to operate these things as long as there's a need until, you know, it's not necessary anymore. You, you know, the, your, your resources are, are complete. Empathy and forgiveness, relationship with empathy and forgiveness. Because of that empathic link, I've been able to forgive in a way I never understood before. It's a program that went awry. Yeah, well, <coughs> so empathy is the <coughs> sense of mutuality and uh, just like me, you could say. So we can share that, and we can share that, say, with people, you know, we, we feel closely associated with, say, you know, fellow Buddhists or people of our nationality or whatever, you know, and then there's a lot more, say, uh, allowance for them because there's an empathic bond where we are able to say, oh, yeah, that's just, I do the same sort of thing myself, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I'm with that, you know. And then there's a certain point in which you can't relate to their their behaviour, and then you cut off. You know, that's unacceptable. It's totally unacceptable. Horrible, evil, stupid. Cut off. You know, and the empathy is lost. Once you lose empathy, I think it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because once you lose empathy, human beings can do just about anything to other human beings. You know, they lose empathy, it becomes all those people of the other nation, the other religion, the other tribe. Wipe them out. You know, they're bad, evil, stupid, useless, derelict. <laughs> you know, whatever. You know. So then people do that, don't they? Tribes do that, you know, we all know genocides and uh, wars where you can, our guys, our people, we're the good ones and those people over there that eat babies, they're, they're brainless, they're savages or whatever, wipe them out, you know. <laughs> so that's when we, we lose the empathy. And, so, and it, when you lose empathy, what occurs is ditti instead, opinions, views, dogma. So we, you know, that's, that's when it's really bad. And this is history. History is so marked with, uh, you know, the loss of empathy and the regaining of it when people suddenly, oh, well, what have we been doing? You know, well, you know, you were just like me. 
we were all, you know, we make mistakes and everybody wants to be happy and have their kids and stuff and, you know, suddenly you flow together again and then you, all that, the flowing together is so, um, such a relief that then you think, oh, well, okay, so he said some stupid things. Well, okay, well, never mind. We did the same thing, you know, and you, you see these, you see more compassion for our, for our ignorance. So, you know, the, the loss of empathy and, and, the, and the regaining of it is, is, you know, that's huge effect in human history. Now, when we have individual sense, you know, somebody's done something you feel is really abhorrent, not up to standards at all, how could they do such a thing? You know, you've got to really wait with that, rest with that. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, probably, <laughs> you know, you don't know, but uh, everybody's right and everybody's wrong. You bear that in mind. Everybody's right and everybody's wrong. <laughs> when that person was acting, when they thought was they were doing the right thing, or they didn't even notice it, you know. It's not the problem. There's, there's only there's not one right. That's the problem. <laughs> there's lots of them. <laughs> everybody's right, but every, only everybody's only a bit right, uh, and everybody's only a bit wrong. But everybody's right, and everybody's wrong. And you get that. You realise what we're in in this birth process. So. You know, and then okay, what are you going to do? You're going to have that carry that person around in your heart the rest of your life. How long? How how hurt? How much hurt do you want to keep going with that one before you finally think, oh well, just like me, and and let it drop. It takes time though. Once you come into empathy, you come out of the ditti, the ditti, the view that separates us, cuts off the empathy, the, the heart sense. When we're in shock, often that's what happens. The heart sense closes down and you get righteous. So when that happens, you know, okay, you got to, that so-and-so is always getting at me, da 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 wrong, foolish, da 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 after all I've done. Okay, righteous, rest with that for a while, and then what's, you've got to go back to the feeling. Once you go back to the feeling, which is pain. Let the feeling be there. You know, let's go with the feeling of that. And uh, you come back into the heart sense from the head sense of right and wrong. You come back to the heart sense of pain and hurt. Not easy. But from there, when your heart opens to, to the pain, that pain can move through and then you're back into the heart territory. The heart territory is naturally empathic. It just is that way. Naturally empathic. And this story, I think it's such a beautiful story, and I'll, I'll take some time with it. I think it was Barbara Brodsky, one of her stories when she was, uh, she was an activist. So she was kind of demonstrating at something and I forgot exactly what it was. But anyway, the, the, the short bit of it is this, she was kind of thrown to the ground and, you know, thrown to the ground by this, the guard or the security person or the police or whatever it was, kind of kicked around, thrown to the ground and she kind of, you learn, you learn how to protect yourself, you know, you've got your face and stuff like that. And she could, this would ha hurt in a few times, you know, and one time she just got thrown to the ground and she'd feel this guy kind of feel his, his frustration, his anger at this, having to, you know, be with this demonstrator and he's kind of kicking her. And she's lying there, she felt his anger and frustration. She felt, I really love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. 
process because <laughs> you can sort of emphasize with what is what it's like to have to be a security guard you know or a policeman dealing with these demonstrators and having this frustration all the time <laughs> so, uh, so there was, she was lying there feeling him kicking her thinking oh I love this guy <laughs> an interesting one. That's that's the quality of empathy. (laughs) A beautiful thing. Beautiful. Okay. Let's take a couple more. Can the activities of becoming and papancha be seen as the same thing? How are they similarly different? So papancha is um, the mental proliferation. So it's when we uh, get this cascade of emotionally charged thoughts and they proliferate they like snowflakes in a blizzard. <laughs> you know, that thing going on. And becoming, becoming is much more uh, ongoing. Uh, are much more sort of under the under this you know it's sort of the the underlying stream which creates the sense of time you know moving on moving on moving on and we can get without we can get impatience not moving on fast enough or we get bored or no impatience yeah things aren't moving on fast enough you know, so this kind of quality of becoming and the uh, the eagerness to become, or the dread that one might become, the anxiety over the future. So these is a kind of fundamental. We call it a view. Uh, so it's like a perspective, generates perspectives of the future. So it's it's a kind of ongoing thing. Papancha just happens at particular incidents. You know, you you kind of prolifer- mentally proliferate. It's something touches you hits your bell as it were and all this stuff goes scattering around. <clears throat> Enlightenment factors get in and start to hold you and support you. Is this the same for the parami as well? Parami are perfections. These are uh, I mean the what they both have in common is they both require um the initiator is, is heedfulness, or pamada, or paying attention. So that's the means you, you you stop or check the ongoing program of, of of where we're going or reactions or activities. You say pause, just check what's happening, and then mindfulness comes in. You know, oh, bear in mind, and then parami are more like slightly more deliberate than the enlightenment factors. <coughs> You know, Dhamma Vijaya certainly has got a sense of deliberation to it. You you look around, you explore. Paramiya is things like um, uh, to do with mental volition. That is uh, generosity, decision to give, um, truthfulness, um, morality, um, renunciation, wisdom, patience. Um, Resolve, equanimity, loving kindness. So these are then they're very useful because they, when you 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 stop, or you check, or you pause, and you take up a deliberate. Oh, let's do that. It's, but it's more uh, volitionally, volitionally, volitionally generated than the enlightenment factors. The enlightenment factors have a certain transpersonal quality to them you can you can sort of stimulate them you know by by abiding in them but they're much more in a tr- uh, f- kind of flowing from a, a unfolding of dhamma process parami a, a little more to do with um you know action in terms of our daily life so sort of upper level you could say so you can have it on your fridge door or something you know today thursday is patience day and you kind of decide well let's keep that word there so when i go out to the do whatever i do patience 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 i'm just that's my one for the day you know (laughs) 
So then it helps to check your way you act, speak and behave, more to do with external activities. So the results, and the beauty of them is they help you to trans, to use the world of external activities to generate these internal strengths that then will certainly be part of the way in which enlightenment factors will be uh, encouraged. Some some longer ethical questions. Laughter and right speech. So warm laughter, contagious sense of humor is a wonderful dimension to teaching about myself. Certain question about certain types of humor, teaching about how the mind can build a case around view, use the story of imagining a fellow yogi to be psychotic in imagining a woman getting butchered in a room. You laughed and encouraged us to laugh. I wonder if there's certain edgy humor that can do harm. There may be those in our sangha who have experienced physical trauma violation. We live in a world where many women especially live in justifiable fear of violence. Do we as followers of the Buddha face questions of right speech in how we approach humor or what we consider humorous? Yeah, I think we do. I mean, quite a bit of um, humor is edgy because it uh, humor sets up a kind of tension that is resolved. Isn't it? That's what's so funny. Somebody slips on a banana skin, you know, which is actually dangerous. And we laugh. Slip on a banana skin. We laugh because it's generally somebody who looks <coughs> looks ridiculous or looks dignified, or looks pompous. You know, if it was some little old lady slipping on a banana skin, we wouldn't laugh. <laughs> It's some kind of fat bureaucratic gentleman. We probably think, "Oh, look at that!" You know, you see, there's, a, there's an edgy tension to it, but somehow it's a sense of that was dangerous, but it, it wasn't fatal. You know, there's a sense of a, a let off. You know, um, so there, there's the edge of that, and that's what that's the edge of humour. Of humour, kind of you know, comes on as if it's threatening and then there's a sense of relief. We realise, oh, it's not going to happen. And of course, if you don't realise that, then it goes wrong. So sometimes humour can have this offensive quality if if uh, it strikes a chord uh, where you, you you don't feel a sense of, oh, yes, you can come out of a sense of concern. You know, so yeah, it's 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 edgy stuff, but <clears throat> you know, I think uh, that's why uh, you know I feel by and large you have to really you know remember the words in terms of the the person, the situation, tone of or everything. You get a much more holistic impression of what's what's really happening there, what's being intended there. And if there is offence, then you probably think, oh, okay, well, yeah, it, it was not an intended thing, but I'm sensitive around that topic. I think I'll pause there for today. So naturally, of course, the thing I say is, that's uh, why we often ask forgiveness, particularly Ends of retreats, you know, um, forgiveness is a quite normal thing in Buddhist cultivation. You're often asking it because, yeah, we do say things or do things that touch the raw raw spot. In fact, there's never never a real problem in that in apologizing. It was one's intention, but it just helps to reset. Um, and and also we we learn a little bit more that way. Funny because I, I had that myself I had that sense afterwards. Oh, maybe that wasn't such a good thing to say because you know it seems ridiculous. But then oh, you know you know for women particularly these things. I mean you know this definitely a little more sensitive. So after all, I thought maybe that wasn't such a good thing to say. But I said it. <laughs> <laughs>